Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, a little, little, a bit of information. Thomas, thank you for sharing. If you missed God's stories, we have that in the beginning of our service at uh, 1030. So I'd encourage you guys to be here at 1030 or God will judge you for not listening to the things that God is doing in, the, in your midst. Uh, so uh, a few months back when we started talking with uh, Thomas, God began to unpack things in his life. And if you guys were here for the message and the moment that God laid on our church on forgiveness, all of that was ready in the works with Thomas. And I think it was so beautiful how God just has woven these things within our church about just about him wanting to set us free so that we can walk in freedom. And I think it's beautiful because a lot of times in, a, in the Western world, we think that since I'm a Christian, that's all I need and God is good. Lie, 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 lie. God did not create us for, God did not create us to be alone. God did not create you and me to be alone. He created us to be in community. And I love that about, about God. And I want to talk about today, tied in, tying in with what we're talking about when it comes down to unity. <clears throat> but today I, I want to talk about sacred spaces. Sacred spaces. And I'm just going to go straight in and, and just start talking about it. You guys ready? Yes? All right. Sacred spaces. Wait, what do you think of when you think of sacred spaces? Just let me, let me ask you this. In your mind, the most sacred of spaces is where? Just think about it. The bathroom? Okay. The closet? Lazy boy? Okay. Where else? The land, whereas the bed, sacred space, okay. Yes, and that's the thing. Where does God meet you? Uh, sometimes, if you're really busy, he meets you in your car after you've done almost killing your kids and your spouse, right? Uh, sometimes he meets you when you're out by yourself, just walking, enjoying nature. There's a lot of places that could be sacred. And I want to talk about that because the first place and the way that sacred places begin is through revelation, right? A sacred place is not a place that you establish. Sacred place is where God finds you, right? He is the one that initiates your sacred space. So the real question is this, for everyone who's here, if you're on your phones, look at me. Thank you, my son and my other, my children in the Lord. <laughs> um, when has God established your sacred space? And even maybe a deeper question is, do you even have a sacred space? Just, just let this question mess with your life. Do you have a sacred space? When, you're, when you have a place in your house where the TV is and you sit in the same place all the time, right? So we know what that is. But do you have a place where God 
can give you revelation, where God can speak to you. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 says this, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he made. God created a sacred place, and then he planted the man in the sacred place. We see in Exodus 25, 9, you must build this temple and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. So God showed up to Moses and says, and says Moses, tells Moses, I need you to build a place for me, a sacred place where I can meet you. First Chronicles 29, 19, every part of this plan, David told Solomon, was given to me in writing from the hand of the Lord for Solomon to build a temple. In the Old Testament, those were sacred places a tent of meeting, the tabernacle, where God would be, where God would visit with his people. If you remember the story when, uh, when God said, hey, I'm going to talk to the people and have them cleanse and do all these things that they need to do, you know, um, um, and I will show up on the mountain and meet them. And when God did, everyone feared for their lives. And so the people said, Moses, this is not going to work. We're too afraid. Why don't you go talk with God? And then you just tell us. That didn't end so well. A lot of times that's true with us. Why doesn't the pastor go talk to the Lord and I'll just be here? Why doesn't my mama or my grandmama or my parents talk to the Lord and I'll just be here? Why don't you just tell me what God tells you? Why don't I just play a YouTube video of someone hearing from the Lord and I will receive from there? It is so, so easy for us to be robbed of our own sacred place, of our own sacred space. And if you have a sacred space, what happens? Satan comes and tries to undermine, try to steal, try to make sure to do everything he can so that you don't meet with God. One of the things in discipleship, discipleship in our church is based off of people meeting with God on a daily basis. And so whenever we sit down with you, we're like, hey, okay, so this is how it's going to work. We will study some stuff, but it's not content-driven. It's not program-driven. It's relational-driven, you and God. So if you and God are not meeting on a regular basis, there is no discipleship. The weight is on you and me to make sure that we have a sacred space. I, I think it's interesting because for all these people, God made the garden. He put man in it. God talked to Moses, told him, this is what I need you to build. God told David, here's the temple that I need you to, to build. So, so what happens is this one, if God is setting the agenda, if he's the one that's revealing it to us, that means that we don't come to this place telling him what we want, but we come to this place listening to what he has to tell us. It is easy when we're sitting here when we're sitting here and we're listening, right? We're forced to listen to me. You guys are forced to listen to me. But do you know that at the same time as you're listening to me, you can be postured to listen from God? And Satan tries to steal that from us. He'll distract us. We'll be on our phones. We'll be giggling. We'll be thinking about all these things where God's like, I thought you came to a place to meet with me. 
but you did it. You just came so that people think you came to meet with me. Right? Where were you this Sunday? I was at church. What would happen? What happened there? I don't know. It was great. What was great? Just God was good. What does that mean? He's just good all the time. All the time, God is good. The hashtag blessed again. <laughs> right? It's like we, we, don't, we can't be specific. How is God good? How has God met you? Last Sunday, how did God meet you? Can you write down, this is how God met me. This is what he revealed to me. This is what he spoke to me last week. I'm not even talking about Monday through Saturday. Let God be the judge of that. Right? But specifically when we're here together, and yet we fail to make this space sacred. So what God is maybe urging us is to don't build something, don't, don't make a sacred space and then ask God to come in. Ask God and he'll tell you where and how to build your sacred space. Let him be the guide to your sacred space. Matthew 16, verses 13. Let's see here, am I getting ahead of myself? Okay, so, so this is the revelation. Because, because in this part, in this sacred space, what happens is we need to learn how to lean in and listen and hear to the Lord. We, we hear from so many different sources. And too oftentimes, most of what we receive as revelation is from other sources than from the Lord himself. And I think that's a problem. I think it's a problem because it creates a gap in our relationship with the Lord. So we easily can say, yes, the Lord speaks, but doesn't really speak to me. He speaks to others. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 and onwards, it says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, we, don't, we just think of this having this like a conversation, but this was a sacred space where Jesus was talking to his disciples. He's asking them questions. They're responding. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, you are blessed. In my translation, you are hashtag blessed, Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. When was the last time God revealed something to you? Has he ever revealed anything to you? Just sit with that for a second. If you are his, then he already has revealed to you who he is. That generates our response to accept or reject him. But since that moment, what else has he revealed to you? He. Verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, son of, son of Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Man, I, I want this to sit with us because we rely on human beings far too much and going into election we think we know god's plan we think we know who's right 
When it talks about Ukraine and Russia, we know what's right. Of course, this is the only way. You know, Israel and Palestine, of course, your position is the correct position. Where do you get that from? The Lord? Did God tell you that's right, that's wrong, he's right, he's wrong? Or did you hear that from a human being? And did he get that from the Lord or did he get that from someone else? So we have to be super intentional about where are we leaning our ears to? Who is the one that is influencing us? And then Jesus says, on this revelation, I will build the church. On this revelation. You can say, on this revelation, he's going to build you. On the revelation of who he is. And it's not just here's a head knowledge of who Jesus is, but is your walk representative that you know, that you believe that Jesus is who he says he is? Is that revelation trigger something else or is it just a, I just know and that's the end of it? That's an easy thing, right? I believe that that's good enough. Well, yeah, because demons also believe. Demons also have this revelation of Jesus. Because they had it before they fell. They chose to rebel against the revelation. And you and I have the same opportunities every day to rebel against the revelation of who Jesus is. So this place of leaning in and listening, the, the, the sacred space, it's about being in a place where there is revelation from the Lord. The second thing that I want to talk about is that the sacred space is a habitation. As I was reading this, man, it, I know I spoke about this habitation in the beginning of the year, but the habitation part is, is when we have a physical space, right? The habitation is what Jesus made available because it wasn't, God was not satisfied in showing up in a physical building for people to meet him. He wanted to inhabit his people individually. So in the Old Testament, God told Moses and David um, to build himself a place where God's presence would be present. Where God would be present in a physical place. Imagine you're walking and you're doing your thing and you're walking by the tent of meeting where God is. <laughs> Do you begin to check yourself? I'm getting close to the presence of God. Maybe I need to redirect my plans. Right? There is a, 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 there's something different when you know that God is there. He's not just out there, but he is here. He's inhabiting you and I because we became the temple. At first God said, build me a temple. I will be there, but I will talk to only a select type of person. And then he swung the gates wide open and said, actually, I want you to be the place where I inhabit. Inhabit. And honestly, if God inhabits us, this is where habits are developed. This is where our patterns are developed. This is where things become conviction to us. It's not that we just know something because someone said, but, but there is a relational dynamic because God is in you and he is in me. He dwells in his people. But here's the thing. Just because he indwells in you, it doesn't mean that he approves everything you do. 
Sí. He dwells in a lot of rebellious people. Israel was rebellious. And whenever they were going through the desert, what was really interesting is that there were two ways of getting there. There was a shorter way and a longer way, right? Elena mentions this, and it's in her book. If you haven't got her book, find her book on Amazon. Plug. 25% I get royalties, and um, the church is going to get some too. But I'm just looking around. But, but, there, but there's this beautiful thing to where God is trying to lead his people to the promised land, which is fantastic. But then the people are, you know, they're moaning and groaning, and, are, and they're like, the, you know, the idea of Egypt hasn't left their, their heart. But what is interesting, even though they were walking in that rebellion, God was still with them. You think about that. God was powerfully working in them. They were living and walking a miracle with the Lord and in, do, in disobedience with the Lord. Think about it. The clothes did not wear out. No one starved. No one got sick. Dare to say it, no one probably died. In the desert, millions of people, kids, all sorts of things. And so because they were in the desert, there's all these additional laws that were created to keep the camp. So, but, the, but you see, this is a walking miracle, a walking miracle that's living in contrary to the Lord. So yes, the Lord could inhabit you and you could be off track, significantly off track. It's not because God can leave you. He can he doesn't need a reason to inhabit you to begin with, but he desires to. In Eden, God walked in the garden in the cool of the day and talked with Adam and Eve, right? God came and filled the tent of the tabernacle with his glory, we read in Exodus. After being dedicated, the Shekinah glory of God filled the temple in Second Chronicles. God was so present in the sacred space and now he says, I want to inhabit my people. And so we read in John chapter one, one of my favorite uh, passages, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. He created everything. Uh, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Verse four, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. And verse 14, if so, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and, and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. To the whole point of Jesus is that he's saying, I don't want you to go to a space where you can meet me. I want to dwell in you. I want to inhabit you so that you kind of can meet me whenever you want to. Think about it. You and I can meet the Lord whenever we want to. That is such a dangerous place to be. I was there and you did not eat of me. I had peace and you did not partake. I had joy and you did not receive it. I was the light in you, and you did not shine. I was the salt in you, and you failed to produce the spice and the salt. This is the beautiful thing, because even though God inhabits us, he has not taken away our free will. You would think that if someone is possessed, 
When the devil possesses you, you have no free will, right? Has anybody ever seen anybody possessed? Okay, in movies. Everybody, in movies for sure. <laughs> but you know, when something, when the devil possesses, it's like, let's say the person, you know, doesn't have control. But when God possesses you, you still have control. Because he doesn't just want to overtake you. He wants to partner with you. Because that's relationship. When you get married, when you become one, the person doesn't lose their own identity. They don't lose their own free will, their, their likes, their dislikes. They are still them. But there's this beautiful picture where the two become one, united. So God resides in you. Third principle is that when you and I allow God to reside in us, then God can begin to transform us. When you don't make space with God, then you will hear a motivational message and you'll be like, this is right, this is true, and I like it. And come Monday, you're back to where you were. The cycle. And what do we say? Well, we're sinful nature. That's just us. God made me new, but it's never going to get there. God redeemed me, but it's only going to be real whenever I die. What's the point of God indwelling us if nothing changes while we're on earth? Like one of the most revelational conversations that I had with God was when he reached out and saved me and baptized me and, and, and completely shifted everything. My first question to him was, all right, God, I'm trying to take me. I'm ready to go. Like it was, it was the, the first time that I ever felt like I don't need nothing here. This world has nothing for me. And he should have done that because it's like, that's the same thing, right? When your kid is behaving and everything's good, you're like, all right, just please don't mess up. How could they freeze this in time so that you don't disrupt this, this, this purity and this, you know, it, but God's like, no, no, I have a purpose for you. I have a destiny. See, the Israelites, they were in the desert for so long that they lost their sense of why God was leading them out and to where he was taking them. They, they built a house where they should have built a tent. They created roots where they were just supposed to pass through. So when God begins to inhabit us, this is when we encounter him. And this encounter that Elena was talking in the beginning too, is this encounter is what begins to transform us. Like how many of us are just walking around and we're not being transformed? How many people do you know that have been Christians for 30 years and you're like, yeah, okay, you go to church, but that's about it. Do you want transformation? Like, do you, or, or, are you, or, or are you like, look, God, you saved me, so you did the work. Go ahead, transform me. I'm waiting. I'm going to do my thing until God interrupts my day to do whatever the thing that he wants to do. Because like, who told you that lie? Who told you that, that you don't have any say in it, that you don't have anything that you need to do? Transformation is a decision to submit to the Lord, to have encounters with the Lord, to allow him to inhabit you and in that place where you meet with him. That's what the temple is. The temple is when, where, where God and man meet. That's the temple. 
Where, so Moses is doing his thing, and then you go, all right, I'm going to go be with God. He goes into this temple, and in this temple is where God meets with him. This connecting point. Now, this is what floored me. He then says that you are my temple. So in you and in me is where God wants to meet you. God has made a way where you and him can meet. You and I, when we meet, those are, those, those are the encounters that begin to pivot towards transformation. And I am just tired of seeing people who are not being transformed. Not because God is not powerful, but because we, you and I, we could resist that. God says, I'm not taking away your free will. So you can say, no. I was talking, about, I was talking with um, Bob this, this week. And he gave a great example. I'm going to steal it. Steal an example that you, you sure. You see, you have to say yes because everybody's watching. So it will. <laughs> um, this was so beautiful. And he heard this somewhere. And he's like, okay, imagine, imagine, right? Imagine that, 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 that Jesus is a golfer. I know that's from the devil, but just imagine for a second that Jesus is, is a golfer. And you and I are the golf balls. And he positions us, right? He goes, and you're like, okay, God, I surrender to you. You know, take me where you want to. Who, who, who had that prayer? God, I'm yours. Come on, raise your hand if you had this prayer. God, I'm yours. I'm yielding to you. Take me. Use me. Purpose. I need purpose. Shoot me to the purpose. Jesus is like, you sure? Yes, I want. We're like, all right, all right. So Jesus takes it. And he knows where the, if you know anything about golf, there is a hole that you have to get the ball in, right? You just, so there's purpose behind this, right? Okay, so Jesus swings, right? And he swings you to the purpose. But as you're flying, the ball doesn't have free will anymore. But in your life and my life, we actually still have free will. So we can be like, ah, let's go this way. Let's go this way. God forbid, let's go backwards. But once Jesus swings, then you're just going further away from the hole. And then we, we do it our way. We end up in the sand pit or in some wooded area or in a horrible place further from our purpose, right? And then so then we're like, we get this moment, we're like, okay, God, I surrender again. I give you my life again. All right, you know, you blamed him because you're like, well, he swung bad. Come on, he did not swing bad. He was a perfect swing. The kind that you'd want him to swing every time with. But because you still have free will, you, 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 you take a turn left, you take a turn right, so then Jesus has to go to where you ended up. And now his swing, is it going to be harder because you're further from the purpose? Right? So then he hits you again. You're like, oh, right, I'm flying. This way. You're like... <laughs> but if you allow God to swing you and launch you into the place... He may hit you a, a second time, launch you, but because you're closer, his swing is not going to be that drive. Right, so a lot of us, we feel the pain. Over, every time God speaks to you, it's like this whack. You know, you're like, God, you like hug me once in a while. Because like, I'm trying to get you to purpose. So surrendering that. So that, you know, for me, it was such a powerful like a, like a, a illustration because because we want to believe that if God is with us, then we can do no wrong. And if someone says, I believe in God, surely that their actions will line up with what the Lord says. So 
I want us to be reminded that we can still have our own free will. That's the, that's the first gift that God has given us next to breathing life into us is the ability to choose to be a free agent. And I think we've lost it. Satan tries to steal it. You are just because of who you are. It's your parents' fault. It's your upraising. You know, that's, that's why you are like that. Whatever it is, it is easy for us to say, well, that's just who I am. Right? So then transformation happens when we're continuing to encounter God because God has set up a place where he and we meet. Him and you have opportunities to meet every single waking day. Think about that. A lot of times we think that if we open scripture, that's when he meets us. That's true. Whenever we pray, that's where he meets us. But what when you're just sitting back in bed, in the lazy chair, Yes, in the toilet, in the shower. You just say, God, meet me here. I want to hear from you. I made it a practice of my, of my life is to every day say, God, lead me today. I don't care about tomorrow. I don't care about this year, but I want you to guide my moves today. Make me aware of what you're telling me to do, what you're telling me not to do, so that whenever the things that I do, it's guided by you, not just by my own intentions. You know, because it's easy for us to build something and then say, God, bless it. Instead of saying, God, what are you building? Let me get on with that. Let's show within our own lives. The fourth thing is, then we step into the, the place of building something with the Lord. A lot of us, we just want a ministry, we want something, we want God to use us. And what is he going to use when you have not encountered him? What, what is he going to tell you when you don't really listen to him? And then we begin to build and construct things in our own strength, in our own vision, in our own thing. Like, here, God, here's what I'm building. God's like, I told you nothing about that. But we see someone else doing something, so we try to copy it. Yeah, let's make it our own. It's like, no, no, stay with God, be with God. And then God's going to begin to direct you to tell you what do you need to build. Okay, I'm going to skip up to my last point. Um, the, the building part is where what you believe, what you experience, what your, um, what your encounters with the Lord, where it, 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 it's not just God teaching you something, it's actually wherever God begins to tell you, this is what you gotta actually begin to do. We sometimes love to get in this moment with God where we're hearing from him and we, 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 we know what he wants, maybe, right? God's like, show us what he wants, but then the step of what he told you versus are we actually doing it a lot of times there's a disconnection right which brings us to my last point which is the commissioning god is trying to do all this so that he can come in commission us basically have action in partnership with him be active with him When God created the garden, he placed Adam in there with Eve and God dwelt with them that he told them to subdue the earth, multiply, fill it, expand the garden. He asked them to do something. And this is what we talk about all the time. Like, what has God asked you to do? Some of us, we, don't, we have no clue. Why do we have no clue? Because we are not hearing from God. And if we're not hearing from God, he's not transforming us. If he's not transforming us, it means we're not really getting a new revelation from him. 
So we're just doing things in our own strength, in our own way. And then we're figuring out why is my life so dull and boring? I'm going to find joy outside of the Lord. And we find joy in our marriage, in our kids, in our work, in our, in our hobbies, only to realize that those are so limiting. Sometimes we put too much value on family more than we should. We put too much value on our spouses. Remember, guys, you're only going to be hitched to them on this earth. In eternity, you'll be free. Stay there. Think about it. You will be free from your spouse in eternity. We have marital counseling for those who rejoice in that thought. But what does that mean? That means that there's some other priority beyond marriage. That's what it means. It means that marriage is not your ultimate high on earth. Family is not your ultimate high on earth. Your career is not your ultimate high on earth. Your hobbies, your, those are great to enjoy. Those are gifts from the Lord. But our highest peak is with the Lord. We will be with him forever. Rusty mentioned this a while ago about heaven and all these great things that we want to see in heaven. And if Jesus is not in your description, then you're missing the point of heaven. Right? Sometimes we... we Whatever inhabits our life, whatever we focus on, that becomes the pinnacle of what we're trying to achieve, what we're trying to aim, what we're trying to go to. And God's like, no, no, no. Aim me. Let me be your focal point. Let me be your destination. Let me be your partner. So this commissioning becomes a, a really powerful uh, um, a thing because he's, a, he's not just transforming us and allowing us to experience him, but then he's sending us out. He's sending us out. And this is how the church actually grows. If God's people understand the call that you and I are to be sent out. Don't raise your hands, but man, no, I won't say it. Everything's going so good. I don't want to sabotage this thing. Okay. <laughs> um, when, you're, when you're married and you have children, one of the biggest goals is for you to send your kids out to build another family, right? Sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes your kids are still with you for, for, he, for, for whatever the reason, and that's fine. It's understandable. But I'm just saying, like, in, in general, how we multiply is you, you build your kid up. You make sure they're transformed, that they know who they are. They know where they're going, their purpose in life. And then you say, all right, please leave. Please leave. Make us, make us grandparents, Right? It's like it's, it's this beautiful picture of being sent out. And I think we sometimes forget that part of it where we're just like, okay, God, I'm just going to be here. And I don't know. I mean, we have people who are not, who are still in their, you know, in, in living with their parents. And that's fine. I'm not saying that that's, that's you um, or anything like that. But I'm just saying is that the, the goal is that God wants to send us out. We're commissioned because He's partnering with us. And the way that we break unity is whenever we're just so focused on the internals of even church. You know, so like this space is not that big, right? And yet there are more than 90% of the people in Arden who are not part of a community. And there are a lot of churches that they can be a part of. But we somehow think that God's going to bring them in somehow, where God's like, you are my hands, you are my feet. 
It doesn't mean that you bring them here so they can hear the gospel for the first time to they get saved. No, you tell them the gospel. You tell them your God story. You let them know that you are encountering God on a daily basis. That's going to attract them to you. Then you can bring them into community. Then you'll be able to baptize them and get them into discipleship so they become more and more like Jesus. Like, I want our... I want this place to physically grow numerically. Like, I really do. That's, that's, that's a good sign of health. But it's not the only sign of growth. God forbid we only have numbers but no depth. I want people to be able to talk with you and you know what you're talking about. That you're studying scriptures, that you're, that you're understanding what it's, what it's saying. And if you don't, then you can ask people, what is this saying? What is this? I don't get this. Maybe my wife does this all the time. She doesn't know a lot about scripture. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But as she, I'll be on this side. But but as she's as she's reading, she's like, "Hey, man, I this part, this verse, I just don't get it, you know." And and sometimes like, "Oh, I don't know. I have to read the context to see what, what you're talking about." But it, it begins to like you begin to ask questions about what God is saying, what God has said. And it becomes a beautiful thing because you're, you're like walking with them. And then when you meet up with people, it's not a thing you do, but it's just something that oozes out of you because you are, bit, you are with God. When was the last time someone looked at you, hung out with you and said, why are you unlike all other people? And that's how the church grows, is that we get on his mission. This is what unites us, that we're not attached to what's happening here specifically, but we are attached to what God is doing. And if God is inhabiting your life, is he, if he's encountering you on a regular basis, if he's transforming you on a regular basis, if he's asking you to build things, then what's going to happen? He, you're going to realize that by default, you, should be, you are commissioned, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. And I love it because with the early church, people identified the church because they were united, loving one another, right? They were unified under something greater than a specific church. Because back in those days, there was one church per village, per city. It wasn't like you have all these multiple, you know, healthy church plants. In reality, it's just broken people getting together because the other church hurt them. That's what we have in the States. We have all these churches, and they're primarily built because someone hurt them in the other church. They all get together and just like lick each other's wounds. In, in Ukraine, where we, where we were from, there was typically only one church per village. So if there was a Baptist denomination, there was one Baptist church. If there was Pentecostal, it was Pentecostal. If there was Methodist, it was one. But it was just one because that's how it was. In America, it's not so. And it's not, nothing wrong with that. But you're left on to something greater than, than yourself. And so God then is calling us and commissioning us. This is why the vision of this church is God through you. God through you. It's not just God through me or God through the singer or God through a leader. It's God through each and every one of us. But for God through you to really be God through you, the thing that he has to do greater than God through you is God in you. What does it look like? Are you experiencing God in you? Or is it just like an idea and a thought? I'm telling you, too many of us, too many of us in our culture, we're just so consumed by other things than God. As if like, it's if like we believe this lie that if, if, if I go all out with God, he's going to take away all the things that I enjoy doing. If you enjoy those things more than you enjoy being with God, then that is an idol. Right? And he wants to confront that. But he just doesn't, he doesn't want to take it away. He loves to see his children enjoy marriage, 
enjoy hobbies, and yes, even enjoy Super Bowl. Last week, the devil slipped in and mentioned 49ers, so I just want to recant that. But here's where I want to land all this. When we have those pieces aligned in our life, then it makes sense when God's like, go. Go. But too many times, we think God is asking us to go and we have nothing to offer. And we have nothing to offer because we were not sitting with God for him to deposit anything in us. This is where we get the beautiful passage in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read these last few verses. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? He told them things when he was there in person, and then through the Holy Spirit, he continued to give them instructions. The revelation part. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until, for, until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I think I'm going to talk about this next week. Okay. So the apostles were with Jesus. They kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But when you receive power when the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. How could he be so bold to say you will be my witnesses? Simple. They've been with him. They've been with Jesus. And then he says, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you will be my witnesses. And then this is where he gives a description of you will be my witnesses everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. I think this is where like a lot of the mission of the church begins to come in because a lot of times we want to reach the world and we're failing to reach our own city, our own neighbor, right? So, okay. So let's do this. So you, you and I have a little bit of a, some time that we get, we got to have a conversation with the Lord. Okay, who wants to have a conversation with the Lord this morning? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Even if you're lying, just raise your hand. Just pretend. Peer pressure. Everybody, all right. So the two questions is this. Maybe the maybe even one question that will lead into this this whole conversation is one. <clears throat> Are you empowered to be a witness? Are you empowered? to be a witness.
All right, I want everyone to close your eyes. Just begin to ask yourself this question. Am I empowered to be a witness? Or whenever I think about being a witness, I'm afraid. And a lot of times when we think of witnessing and reaching out to people, we want to make sure that we have a formula. Make sure I got to say all the right things. But what about with your life? What about with your life? Amen, my other son. What about with your life? Do you... Can people around you tell that God of the universe inhabits you? Because to me, that was like the question, like say, God, if I cannot be a witness by default, that means that there's something stuck between my relationship with you. It's, it's one thing to just know the things to tell someone, but it's another thing to speak of those things from a daily consistent walk when you encounter Jesus, your words have weight. It's not just theology. It's not just quoting scripture. Your words have weight because they're backed up by your walk. So the challenge to us this morning is to say, God, steer me into this sacred space with you. Draw me to this place tell me where you want this to be so that I can come with my ears open my mouth closed so if you don't have that that's a starting place for you and I Father I thank you for giving all of your children access to you Thank you for not taking away our free will. Thank you for giving us opportunities to choose you every single day that we have breath. Father, I ask that you revive your people in this place. So we're just going to take a minute and just have you talk with God. Have a conversation with the Lord. Make this your sacred space. This is why we close our eyes, because when you close your eyes, you can create a, a sacred space right where you are. God wants to meet you right where you are. So we're just going to take about a minute and a half or so and just have a conversation with the Lord. And if he's speaking to you, write things down. What is he saying? What kind of instructions is he giving you? What is he impressing in your heart? If he's giving you scripture verses, pull out your Bible, highlight those, read those passages because he wants to engage you individually.